There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analysed by The Times of London. With me, Toby Gillis and Laura Cook. Donald Trump's NATO comments has some of the world's most powerful nations running scared. We'll debate just how they might respond and even if they have any choice. European political and military leaders are scrambling, like serious panic-ridden scrambling. You won't be surprised to hear it's been caused by Donald Trump's comments about NATO over the weekend, where he not only said he wouldn't defend a country which hadn't fulfilled its financial commitments to the bloc, but that also he'd encourage Russia to attack those nations. The response has been furious and widespread, and nobody with a vested interest has been anything but hypercritical. Included in the list of countries which don't spend the promised 2% of their GDP on NATO membership are Germany, France and Norway. In fact, 19 of the 30 members don't reach that target. So if Trump wins the election later this year, well, you can see why they might be concerned. But what exactly has the fallout been? Joining us now is The Times' Berlin correspondent, Oliver Moody, who's written a piece called Is This How Europe Ends? Oliver, do you mean that in apocalyptic terms or more just an attitude change that's needed for European nations? No, it's the full English breakfast apocalyptic meaning. Basically, Europe's security since 1949 has been guaranteed by Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty, the core of NATO, which is that if there is an attack on one member state, it will be regarded as an attack on all of the member states. And the implicit guarantee of that is that the Americans will show up with the full force of the United States military power and save the day. This is not a button that you simply press. It's a political process. And so its deterrent value is not just that we have all of this military force on our side collectively, It is the intangible belief that the Americans can be relied upon to show up in an emergency. And so the reason why people are so rattled in Europe now about the prospect of Trump winning the presidency is not that he would formally take the US out of NATO. It's simply that he would put this commitment into question to the point where Russia might be tempted to test whether the US is really committed to it. And Oliver, on the pure face of it, I wonder if there's an argument that Trump's comments, however crass that you might think they are, are actually more of a warning shot. Isn't there an argument that it's just as much a broken promise if you're not spending the agreed cash on your NATO membership as it would be for the US not to defend you if you needed them to? There's actually a division of opinion about that. The kind of pessimistic argument is that Trump absolutely means it. The more optimistic reading is that this is just bluster and somehow the opening bid in a negotiation to try and get 
the Europeans to pay more towards their own defence or even to compensate the US for the uh, military resources it's put into European security. Whichever way you land on that debate, the fundamental point is still the same, which is European defence budgets are going to have to rise and the Europeans are going to have to take more responsibility for their own defence. OK, Oliver Moody, thank you for joining us on The World in 10. Fascinating thoughts that do make you think that Trump's demands, if he wins in November, will have to be heeded. However expensive the cost, failure to do so could be an existential risk nobody can afford to take. It's the final stronghold of Hamas, the place where around 1.3 million Palestinian refugees are sheltering, once a medium-sized border town, now the last frontier. We're talking here about Rafah, and in the early hours of this morning, two hostages were rescued by the Israeli Defence Force during overnight strikes. The Times defence correspondent George Grills is in Tel Aviv and explains more about this daring mission last night. We don't have a sort of precise death toll, but it's certainly the heaviest bombing that Rafa has seen and dozens have died. And and that preceded this raid, which was the first successful rescue of Israeli hostages since October, actually. They sort of stumbled across a 19-year-old soldier early in the war. But the two hostages, they were Argentine Israeli citizens last night that they they managed to free. You know, it represents a major coup for, for Netanyahu. And he's already saying this is vindication of his approach, which is not to go forward with hostage exchanges and ceasefire deals and instead to apply military pressure and say that's the way of releasing the hostages. What happens now in Rafa is a subject of huge debate. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is urging an assault on the city to be brought forward. Military leaders, though, are reluctant. They say the time is not now. It isn't time sensitive. The West is also calling for restraint. Any talk of assault is greatly concerning Israel's allies, including President Biden and the UK's Foreign Secretary, Lord Cameron. The area of most concern is where the thousands of refugees go. Now most of Gaza lies in ruins. Noor Odeh is a former spokesperson for the Palestinian Authority. She says there's no way to keep civilians safe and that Israel's offensive in the south has left Palestinians without room to move to shelter. This has been the story since the beginning of this war, where we've seen more than 13,000 children killed. Uh, uh, And we've seen time and again Israeli officials make false claims that have been uh, thoroughly debunked, including the fact that there are safe or deconfliction zones. It can't possibly be true that the only ones telling the truth uh, are the Israeli officials, while all UN agencies, all humanitarian agencies have repeatedly said time and again that there are no place places that are safe for civilians. You know, this is a nightmare scenario already in the middle of, a, of an epic uh, catastrophe that uh, we haven't seen in modern times. This overnight operation to rescue the hostages was a limited raid. It remains to be seen if and when a wider attack begins. On Sunday night, the marathon world record holder, Kenya's Kelvin Kiptum, died in a car crash at the age of just 24. His vehicle hit a tree, killing both Kiptum and his coach, Gervais Hakizimana. There are some questions about outside influences being asked. Kiptum's father has called on the government to investigate. He says last week four people came to his home 
asking for Kipton. When he asked them to identify themselves, they opted to leave. Now, just days later, the runner is dead. At the time of recording, it's not clear if the authorities will investigate, but the athletics world continues to mourn. Kipton last year ran the marathon in just two hours and 35 seconds. He believed he'd become the first person ever to run sub two hours in a race in Rotterdam in April. Kipton's rise saw him usurp his countryman, the veteran Elliot Kipchoge, and the Times' chief sports correspondent Matt Lawton told The World in 10 this is a sporting tragedy as well as a human one. One of the really staggering things about his performances was just how quick he was in the second half of the race. He was setting records for the quickest second half in under an hour. And I think beyond the actual tragedy here is the fact that the sport has been denied the chance to see just what this guy could do and and also denied what I think would have been one of the races, one of the events of Paris this summer, the young pretender versus the goats, as, as people like to call him, the greatest of all time would have just been mesmerising on the streets of Paris. And it's really sad that we're not going to see that. But I think what we saw with Kipton was someone that was going to legitimately, I think, break the two-hour barrier. Kipton just made it look so effortless. Who knows what he might have achieved? I'm sure there would have been Olympic gold medals. There would have been World Championship gold medals. But there would have been some astonishing times. Matt's sentiment is echoed by Kipchoge, who says Kipton had a whole life ahead of him to achieve incredible greatness. All athletics fans will mourn his loss, both for the human but also that sporting loss. This story came to us late today. Expensive trouble could be brewing for TikTok. Universal Music, which represents the likes of Taylor Swift and BTS, pulled its music from this streamer in a licensing row last month. But its emerged users are still finding ways to get around the restrictions. Now, lawyer Simon Goodbody, who's represented the likes of Ed Sheeran in the past, has told The Times TikTok's between a rock and a hard place, branding it an existential problem because other rights holders will be watching to see if Universal agrees to better terms or if the case goes to court. So they almost certainly will have to do a deal, but if not, Mr Goodbody says it'll be costly anyway because a massive copyright claim is, he says, almost inevitable. Read all about it now at thetimes.co.uk. That's all for today. Thanks for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with The Times of London. See you tomorrow. Listener.